Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of The Flow Line. To all the wonderful listeners out there, myself and lovely co-host Matt Offenbacher, back ready for some action. Matt, how's everything going? It's good. Moderately exhausted from my four-year-old was a ring bearer in a wedding what? in outside Cleburne, Texas, Okay, which it was a very long drive there and a long drive back. And How long is long? Well, so I think it's like three hours and 40 minutes without a small child <laughs> and of course stops or whatever. And we actually did pretty well going up there minus the like, daddy, how many more minutes? But like he asked every minute and just like two hours and 39 minutes and he'd go, oh, and then a minute later, like, daddy, how many minutes now? Like <laughs> two hours and 38 minutes. You're like, oh. Um, <laughs> Kids in their frame of reference when it comes to time is like just comical, but it can get annoying. To your point, yeah. I'll typically have ways on the dash screen for like CarPlay and Royce, our daughter, she has a better idea of time, but the four-year-old, he doesn't at all. And so he'll look and say, oh, 13 minutes. And then that's too long. That's just taking too long. I'm like, dude, it's like 13 minutes. And then like when it'll go to 10, he'll say 10 minutes. Oh, that's so long. And then he just, again, like repeatedly asks like how long it's going to be, but he reads it, but he doesn't understand how long is 10 minutes. Yeah. And he thinks it's like 10 days. Right. Like, yeah, no idea. And it was basically like we got there and then it was like, so how long is it going to take to get back? We're like, well, the same time it took to get here pretty much. But <laughs> oh my goodness, he fell asleep in the car, which you'd think is a good thing, but that just meant he wasn't tired at all when we got home. Oh man. And it was just, it was a long weekend. Yeah, it is. And it's funny because my wife has like subtly brought up the idea of possibly another child. And mm -hmm. I've just been cringing ever since because of those exact reasons, along with screaming baby at nighttime and all the rest of it. So anyway, that's an ongoing discussion, which we can take offline. Yeah, the podcast sure. universe can unpack that for you and report back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But uh, no, it's uh, again, weekends are good. Family's good, it sounds like. And, you know, when it comes to the drilling fluid world, which is why we're here to talk about, you know, something that we see often is, and unfortunately it happens, but, you know, is plugging off tools or having to trip for tools. And the always the question is, well, why are we tripping for tools? And naturally we pump things through the tools. And oftentimes those things, whether it's because we put it in the mud or maybe sometimes we didn't put it in the mud, can plug off a BHA and then lo and behold, we come out of the hole and cost time and money. But with specifically to LCMs, that's always a very critical that we select the right products to pump down hole because the tools only have a certain amount of capacity to hold or be able to pump through our tools. And so I think it'd be interesting to talk about a little bit of diving into that type of phenomena as to when it comes to say product sizing product selection some best practices some things to really consider when you're about to pump lcm be mindful of what you're pumping it through and to make sure that you can get it through the tools because you want to plug off formation not necessarily tools so let's talk a little bit about that matt what do you think yeah i mean I, look it comes up all the time and i don't think we'll have a perfectly clean answer when we get through this but at the same time like Let's try and separate out the hearsay from some things that we could really think through. 
Right. No, I think it's a great idea. So, so let's take a little step back and, and look at it high level. How would you define directional tools? Because that's one thing I think would be important to define. Yeah, well, the tools that plug are a lot of times tools that have bypass, flow pass. They might have a turbine that, you know, they need flow to be powered or activated. And so probably one of the more common ones is MWD, LWD, or measurement and logging while drilling. And so they might have a diverter sleeve or something that when you pump fluid through it and there's LCM, if it can't pass through that, it plugs off. And rotary steerable systems can get pretty complicated. They might have some other things that where flow is actually separated as it goes through the tool through smaller paths. And this is where you have the risk of lost circulation material, especially, you know, larger stuff sort of bridging and sealing across part of the tool as opposed to part of the formation. And that's the quandary, right? If you want material that'll seal everything as long as it does it in the annulus. Right. That's exactly. And I think 99% of the times it's the MWD tool that we're referring to. It's like, oh, we plugged off the tools and it's normally the MWD tool. And so if we could just get rid of them altogether, I think it'd make life a lot easier. If we could just agree to not know where we're drilling, (laughs) then I I think we're fine. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. Anyway, so let's talk a little bit about tool properties. So if we double click into the tool aspect, let's talk a little properties. We've got size and we've got flow. How would you describe those? So there's always the first probably big example of where we're not even speaking the same language. And I would say, you know, so one is, you know, have you run it through product X? And it's like, yeah, you know, we've run run that all the time. Well, as the whole size gets smaller, the tools get much smaller too. And typically that means that they're not as mechanically strong and there's other things. But when people start drilling smaller hole, it means probably smaller spaces between that diverter sleeve where you say, look, we run this with product X all the time. And it's like, right, but not in six and an eighth inch hole, for example, uh, where the tools are staged down and now you have smaller apertures where this material has to pass through. I would just say there's an added element of caution required when you get into those smaller hole sizes because things that you got away with before you might not get away with now. And so a lot of the conversations when we're looking at, look, the story goes, the directional company says, you can't pump that. We're like, we do it all the time. What are you talking about? We all go to the drilling consultants trailer and they say you're pumping it or you're doing it. And then if anything happens, it's obviously the product's fault is a typical script in this fairy tale that we have. But the fact is we have to consider what are the conditions where the risk goes up and slim hole tools is definitely one of those just to think about. And then on the flow side of things, they typically cost a little extra, but you can get tools rated for higher flow rates. And the distinction here is if you can pump at a higher flow rate, those tools don't seem to plug off as much due to particle sizing. That's not a universal statement. I'm just saying they have lower plugging tendencies. Sure. And so we've noticed like certain products that people say, oh yeah, you use this all the time. It's like, right, but you did it with this customer and they always use higher rated tools. So that's another sort of gotcha where it's like we used company-wise rotary steerable and we've never had a problem and it's and we use pump really big stuff. It's like, okay, well, are they the actual same tool or is this something right. else? So I, I guess those are the two, no matter what you say about the tools, like these could be exceptions to the norm that could work against you or work in your favor. Yeah. Those are really good points. And ones that I would have, I think the slim hole, a lot of times when you're drilling in a small, a lot of times the lateral is six and a quarter or sorry, six and three quarters, six and an eighth. Unless if you've been on a rig and you've seen how actually small these tools are, it's not much. And then if you look at the inside or if you ever see a teardown, like 
it's amazing what they can actually pump through there when you're, and you're right. talking a certain pound per barrel. It's quite fascinating, but keep in mind, like just physically looking at it, it's not that big. So, and then when you look at the bigger ones, even eight and a half, eight and three quarters, like they're still not that big. But again, that is, I think, a huge thing to consider when you're pumping different concentrations and sizes of LPM is understand where you're at in the well. What about testing, Matt? I mean, is there anything on the testing front that's worth diving into? Well, I guess the thing I want to emphasize here is that none of the testing is perfect as far as qualification. What I've seen is directional tools are expensive and there's a lot of money that goes into R&D. And so they might have a flow loop with some pits and say, yeah, you know, we tested different LCMs to make sure before we release the tool that it could tolerate a certain amount of material passing through. But what they would do, because it's a relatively clean site, is mix some nutshells in some water and pump it through and high-five each other as if that's the same thing as conventional mud or the whole mess of things that the tool might actually see down hole. And then kind of making it more complicated. Yes, they might scale up to mud, but what was the mud composed of? What was the mud weight? What it would like? It's hard to come up with every permutation and combination, even if you're willing to spend the money to scale up to like full properties, right? Yeah. And so you might try something that's sort of analogous. It's kind of like going back to like pressure loss curves in hydraulics where like everything is done to water and you're like, okay, that's the last thing I'm probably going to pump through an expensive tool, but I'll start there. You know, so there's that, but this will ultimately lead it. You know, everybody wants to know what's safe, what's safe, what's going to keep me out of trouble. Then you end up with these compatibility charts that are really confusing. Every once in a while, they'll have a like a product name, but like not even like fine, medium, coarse. It'll just be like product alpha. And you're like, okay, right. There's a few of those. Tell yeah. me more, you know? Oh, yeah. There's nothing more frustrating than you're about to pump something fancy and everyone gets together and huddles up and then someone has the bright idea to send the specs for the tool. And it's like 10 pounds per barrel of medium product. It's like, what? What is that? And then you're like, do you have any idea of the micron size that this was based off of? And then everyone's like, huh, Mike, I think maybe we could ask. And it's like, that can mean anything. Right. You and I know there's not a clear definition of fine, medium or coarse. You know, they're all relative to one another. And I mean, even some of the tables that we've been given say, hey, stay within these boundaries. It'll say percent by weight. And I'm like, when has that ever... Oh, yeah. Right. What mud guy are you hiring to do this for you? Yeah. Like it's like percent by weight and the next to it, it has pounds per barrel. And it's like, okay, well, percent by weight and pounds per barrel are different, <laughs> you know, and then I've seen a few that suggest there's greater tolerance with heavier muds. And I was trying to figure that out. Like, is it like, because you might have a higher circulating pressure? It was just one of those. It wasn't very clear because generally when you're going to plug something off, what you want is you want a broader distribution, right? If they're all the same particle size, they don't bridge as readily as if you have a mix where you can get like some packing and then seal between those yeah. apertures and everything. Some of these will seal a little better. Some of them will seal with Bayrite, might not seal off as readily, but it just goes back to like, show me the data. Like, how did we get here? And nobody knows. Like, you know, to your point, I saw one that had sand listed as a mud additive. <laughs> and I was like, well, we don't, not on purpose, not that I'm aware of. And, you know, they'll put the sand content, which is fine, but like, I think those are all rules of thumb. And like we've talked about, sand content is a size classification. It's not really relevant unless you actually are drilling sand. Right. So there's just a lot of these compatibility charts where you're like, this is all I have. 
so this is all I have to go by. Mm-hmm. And yet at the same time, like it's total nonsense. It may actually create more problems than it solves <laughs> when we want to sit down and talk about what we think is going to go through the tool. And so this is where I wish we could kind of get on the same page with some of this stuff to, look, we're all trying to get the job done. Let's find some material that readily passes through. Is there a good surface analog test that simulates this complex flow path you might have? And so then you get into like what happens when we're concerned about the so-called best practices while running some of these tools. I came across one the other day and it said regular graphite sweeps with 10 sacks with 30 barrels of drilling fluid. Interesting recommendation. I guess that's to help clear stuff out, but what size graphite, right? I could pump some really big stuff and I'd probably pack off your tool. 10 sacks is interesting, but how heavy are the sacks, right? Like this doesn't solve a problem. I mean, I'm not saying we would, but let's pretend they're hundred pound sacks. Now I'm putting a much higher concentration. I'm much more likely to plug. Mm. And so I've seen some where it's like, oh, well, you can pump LCM, but every once in a while you need to pump these 10 barrel alternate diesel viscous sweeps. And I understand the argument of using like a clear or thin fluid to kind of try and flush out the tool periodically. Yeah. But there's also potential issues with that when you rinse it with a bunch of diesel and then follow it up with a bunch of viscous fluid that may be carrying something. Or I understand that if you're having concerns about your tool, you need to do something. Mm -hmm. But what happens is we had a problem, then we started pumping all this stuff, and now we didn't have a problem. And we haven't decided to tie this back to whether the sweeps are doing something or where the tool had a problem. And we just got lucky. There's a few of these things where it's like, I don't need to be adding a ton of graphite if I'm already trying to add lost circulation material. As a mud company, I guess what we should be thrilled to be selling you some graphite, but like, it's just more of a confusing thing than I think necessarily anything that we think materially improves things on the tool. Right. Granted, we're not tool people. So this is where maybe we could speak a little bit better language. Where's the data? How did you find success in this? Mm -hmm. And like, maybe we could even come up with something that's lower cost or simpler to add or whatever. Right. That might complement whatever you're seeing and we all do better, you know? Right. Well, it reminds me too of just the importance of having conversations amongst different service providers. I've never talked to, and again, this might've happened at some point, but I've never heard a directional folk reach out to a mud folk and be like, hey, we're designing this tool. Would you mind help us like qualify how we're specking this for LCM? To me, that would be a natural like step along the way of R&D but I mean, has a directional company ever asked you to help with like defining specs for their LCM or their spec sheet or anything? No, they just blame the mud. No, right? I, it's easier just be like, we'll just do this and then blame. Yeah. What I've seen more so is with the bigger companies that also have a mud company, they might ask for some input, but they're still going to do their own thing. Mm. And at the end of the day, like the silos, I'm going to say this just because it's how I feel, but you could say there's an exception to the rule. It's fairly siloed, right? Directional makes a ton of money. And so everything needs ultimately going to be the mud's fault, regardless of what happened, if you also have a mud company, right? And so there's this sort of, okay, everybody lay low versus if there are two different companies that maybe don't have competing business lines, they could actually sort of open up a bit and say, hey, let's help you out. I'm tired of this. Yeah, little collaboration. Yeah, so I think there's competing interests that affect how that works. I mean- one of the ironies that, you know, a company I used to work for, they had one of these LCM charts and it had all of a competing company's products on it. It was like, wait, like, so you have some other company's products listed as all compatible and nothing with the mud company you own. 
And I mean, it was still terrible with like no sizing or what have you, right? So don't know if it helped or hurt. Sure. Well, yeah. And again, I think that's an ongoing conversation. But talk about some general considerations. Because I mean, there is a way to help protect ourselves from plugging stuff off. What are some of the things that we can consider, especially at the rig level? I mean, to some degree, keep a record of what you've done that seems to have worked. But, you know, this comes down to there's no set definition, but you can go by most lost circulation material will have a D10, D50, D90, you know, the size in microns, the particle size distribution. So D90 is like the biggest or on the bigger side, D100 is the absolute biggest, Mm -hmm. largest particle, and everything else is less than that. So D50 is a lot of times how these products are named you know, so 50 microns, D50 of 50 microns, 50% of the material is 50 microns or less. Now that doesn't mean it's this perfect distribution curve, but at the very least, if you look at the bigger stuff, you can kind of say, okay, we're able to run this pretty high or so knowing what you added and in what concentrations and say, this seems to be a reasonable level. It can be helpful. I think most people want to know what you got away with. And I think the problem with that is that there's other behavioral things. I've talked to a few folks who would say, most tool plugging incidents, we've gone back and looked and, you know, the Derrickan just threw a bunch of stuff in. Yeah, it gives the product a bad name, but there's behavioral issues here too. Yeah. And so I think that's another one where, as a mud engineer, you hope to be by the hopper when you're doing anything important like that, but it's really, really hard to be there all the time and like sleep and do your job. You know, and so spending a little extra time with the Derrick can to emphasize the risk may limit the amount of time they have to spend up in the Derrick moving pipe. So there's something in it for them. Right. But, you know, working with mud companies, I guess this is one, you know, from a, a directional company or whatever. It's like, hey, what have you guys used? You know, do you have a data sheet on some stuff that's work that you're comfortable? Like, because we'll look at that size distribution. We'll tell you which of our products will make sense there. Yeah. And kind of find that space and understand when we're taking a risk and when we're pretty comfortable with all of those other things, realizing slim hold, flow rate, all that other stuff matters too. But some of these plugging incidents can be tied to behavior. Some of them can be just bad references, but communication normally starts with, no, you can't. Yes, I can. When it's like, all right, well, what's worked? What are you confident in? And if all they say is like the finest material possible at five pounds per barrel, we know that's not true. Let's find the middle ground and get everybody comfortable so that we can address lost circulation risks. Yeah. And again, I think it's important too, is a lot of the issues could be stopped well beforehand if we just increase the level of communication. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think it goes back to this the mud engineering 101 is if you have a sweep or a pill recipe, get the product data sheets, hand them to the MWD hand. Hopefully they've got the micron size on there. Ours, you know, again, shout out to our team. Our product data sheets have the D90, 50, and 10 on there. So there's no guesswork. It's like, And the 99. And the 99? Yeah. Okay. Customer request. Interesting. We threw them in, yeah. Not service with a smile. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, it's just like, hey, you know, here's the three, four, five, whatever, how many products you're going to be pumping over a certain duration of time. It's like, hey, here's it is. And a lot of times, you know, we don't know your tools like you do. So all we know and can validate is the micron size and the distribution. And so... If you're able to hand that to a directional folk and then the operator and and directional and mud get together and say, okay, we sign off on this, then is all else equal if everything's mixed properly and pumped properly. You know, obviously there's all these other factors that can come into play, but then you're at least out in the open with what's happening. Instead of just all of a sudden you run up some sweep and pump it down hole and it's like, well, what size was it? What was the concentration? And 
And again, you know, long story short, communicate, let everyone know beforehand what you're pumping, what the sizes are. Hopefully you'll have someone with enough knowledge on their tool say, well, wait a minute, this product, nah, we got to substitute with something else because the P50 is just way too high or whatever the case is. Do it before you experience not being able to. Yes. And any data sheet that says will not plug tools. It always works. I mean, I have so many issues with things. Like I will always find an exception to whatever you say. Like, I just think that's total. I saw that on a data sheet and that product no longer seems to have that. Maybe it was base oil. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) There's just a point where it's like, look, I know none of us want to plug tools, right? Like it doesn't help anybody. Nobody wants to come out of the hole for any reason. They want to drill and they want to stop losses. Like we all have the same goal here. We're not looking for a gotcha. It's not, hey, well, you guys said this would work and it plugged the tool. So it's your fault. Now I'm not responsible. It's like, no, like let's find, you know, some common ground. But the worst of it is when we start making claims about other people's tools and, oh yeah, it works in this because we did it once. It's like, well, let's understand the circumstances, but broad blanket claims. Eventually you can get to a fluid you might be able to pump that I promise you will plug everything. (laughs) So let's just keep that in mind, you know? Right. Mixing is always a big challenge. And nowadays, through my experience, we used to pump sweeps and just shake a bunch of stuff over the grating. And as fast as you could get it pumped into or dumped into the pit, you had the suction going at the same time. And it was Mm. just like, I don't know how we got away with it. But most times we did. Now, most of the SOP is like through a hopper, give it time to blend and make sure that everything's uniform before you pump it. So with that being said, is especially if you're kind of new to an operation or new to hands, regardless, you should always have a mixing procedure. That way, if something does happen, then you can refer back to, well, here's the agreed upon mixing procedure and pumping procedure that the company representative, MWD, myself, yeah, everyone in, in their dog at least witnessed and said, yes, this will work. Let's do it. That's always good. Instead of, you know, just coming up with something on the fly and then you call out to the pits and say, here's what we're mixing, go for it and blah, blah, blah. Taking an extra few minutes to come up with a procedure that everyone agrees upon and is aware of will certainly go a long way. And again, and then it's, there's no question as to what you did. And as long as everyone agrees that it was followed, then a further investigation needs to happen. But have a procedure in place is what I'm really trying to say. No, I mean, that's great. My suspicion a number of times is that this stuff wasn't mixed properly. It always goes back to, you know, QC on the products and all that. We could do that fairly quickly, but I don't know how you mixed it. So when we get involved in those tool investigations, that's one of the things we want to make sure everybody was on the same page on. Yeah. And that that even goes into something that sometimes I find frustrating communicating back to whoever it is. But if there's ever accusation of, oh, well, the mud engineer just wasn't on the pits when we mixed it. Arguably, yeah, okay, the mud engineer should have been on the pits while it was mixed. But the reality is, and unless you've been a mud engineer, it's, you know, it kind of reminds me of that meme is like what I think we do versus what like engineers think we do and what my mom thinks I do. Yeah. It's like everyone's sort of perception as to what mud engineers do is slightly different. But the reality is, is, you know, there's typically one of us out there. Now, some operators require two, but just for all extensive purposes, there's one out there whether it's paperwork and then it's you've got trucks in and out, this and that. I mean, everyone's busy, don't get me wrong. But to have the expectation that the mud engineer is always going to be on the pits every time something is mixed is just unrealistic. And so I encourage folks out there that if that's sort of the expectation, then perhaps a conversation needs to be had with the mud company and the account manager. And let's make sure we're on the same page and we have realistic expectations. Because I've been in scenarios where that's happened. And because again, context matters. Mm-hmm. It's one right. thing to say, the mud engineer should have been on the pits, but oh, I didn't realize he was doing X, Y, Z 
on top of transferring fluid and signing JSAs and whatever else, cleaning the company reps truck, like who knows, right? right? It's like, there's so many things that could be happening to where he can't be everywhere all the time. Yeah, I think that's a very frustrating thing is where were you? And you're like, I'm trying to be everywhere, guys, you know? Yeah. And that's the deal is like, especially when you think you're on the same page with Derek and everybody seems to understand what the expectations are. Like, yeah, you probably want to be overseeing the most important like operation, which could be a fluid transfer at that time. It could be, like you said, JSA, it could be something involving safety where it's like, no, I need to be down there and making sure that this goes well. I can contribute a lot here. Yeah. Derek Hand knows what they're doing. I've seen him do it before. Going back to the mix procedure, if they don't understand it or they're pretty green, like I think that's a, sure. okay, maybe you should be out there for a little bit and keep an eye on things. But yeah. at some point, the mud engineer can't be everywhere all the time. Yeah. And again, it's not an excuse. You want to be like, oh, well, what we're talking about doesn't happen every day. Like, no. yes, in, in general, yeah, I'm sure there's a tool plugged off right now as we're talking, but on a rig, it's quite rare. So it's not like we're fighting this every single day. But when it happens, it's like the world's on fire. And it's so a big it's, deal, right? Like you had to come out of the hole. This is an expensive thing that happened. And so, yeah, like we want to make sure this never happens on our watch. Right. And at the same time, like we only have so much control as mud engineers, but hopefully we can communicate with everybody else who has a role in this yeah. to the point where we can make them even more rare than what we see today. Of course. No, it's again, good conversation. It's one that I've had with many customers. Just the conversation in general is how do we minimize plugging off tools? And again, a lot of times come to find out it's a bunch of cuttings and it has nothing to do with us, but we just so happen to pump a sweep at the same time. And again, there's so many things that can happen, but again, worth the conversation. If you're a mud engineer or if you have any sort of contribution to the conversation, please reach out to us on LinkedIn and, or you can email us too. Uh, Matt, do you have any closing last words? I mean, we've covered quite a bit of ground here. I think, you know, one other suggestion would be if you're a mud engineer out on the rig and you notice that the mixing system is inadequate Mm. and maybe you sort of foresee this as a potential risk, this is a great way to get a little leverage to get some things fixed on the next rig move is to say, look, I'm worried. It takes a while to get all this stuff blended up. Yeah. And like, I can see this story being written now. If we fix it now, I don't have to babysit as much or anyway. So there's an opportunity as well, just to point out shortcomings that Maybe you've whinged about in the past, but you might be able to get a little more attention when you point out that there are risks other than just having to circulate more with bad mixing, you know? (laughs) That's a great point, Matt. And again, with that said, reach out to us on LinkedIn, or you can hit us up at the Flowline Podcast at AESFlues.com. You know, we've been having some good engagement. Actually, we've had some folks reach out over LinkedIn, just asking some good questions. And so we're going to try and tackle those here. And please, if you could share this, if you're a mud engineer, share it with a few hands that you've worked with, or even some directional folks. Again, we're all about collaborating and creating better working environments for all of us. It's certainly, we don't like to put ourselves in gotcha moments. So the more we can all learn and work together, just again, helps the operator. And that's what we're here for is to service them and make sure they can drill good wells. Uh, with that said, everyone, take care for now. Thanks. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flow Line. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.